go. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. I am just being... Yeah. I am Mike Sutherland. All right. And we are a couple of average Joes. guys here in a cramped office running the galaxy together, you know, just getting the job done, you know. Maybe we maybe we do it occasionally, but it's not weird, you know, because we're just two guys with raging goals, you know. You said we are. We are. Yeah, that was good timing. It was good. All right. So, Dr. Sleep. Struggling with alcoholism, Dan Torrance remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra, a teen who shares his extrasensory gift of the shine. Together, they form an unlikely alliance to battle the true knot, a cult whose members try to feed off the shine of innocence to become immortal. Directed by Mike Flanagan, starring Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hmm. Tom Cruise's love interest from the last two Mission Impossibles. Rebecca Ferguson, Kylie Curran, and Cliff Curtis. Well, I bring you Doctor Sleep, based on the book by Stephen King. All right. You know, if this movie had sucked, you know, God, how many snore jokes do you think there would be about the, the title of this film? Thank God it didn't suck. All right. So, I have, you know, a vested interest in, in this movie because I have been a Shining fan since... I don't know, since the 80s. I can't remember exactly when I first saw The Shining. Of course, the first thing I ever saw was The Shining. I didn't read the book. So everything based off of my initial views of The of the Shining itself is off of what Stanley Kubrick has done. So I did eventually read The Shining novel back in, um, uh, I think I read it in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I had already seen Kubrick's version multiple times. And then I also saw the miniseries that was on TV with uh, Steven Weber and Rebecca DeMornay, which was okay. I mean, it's, it's more... It's more faithful to the novel than than Kubrick's version, but it's you know it, it's miniseries. What do you, you know? You can only do so much, right? Anytime I see, I think of The Shining in any way, even when I read the book. Finally, I already have Kubrick's actors and everybody in mind. I have the look from the film, everything. So when I see the Overlook Hotel, when I'm reading the novel, that's what I see already because it's already been put in front of me. It's kind of like if you watch Lord of the Rings before you read the books. You're picturing Peter Jackson's vision, right? That's just, you can't help it. That's just how it is. Or at least that's how my simple mind is. What I'm trying to get at is when I heard that they were going to do Dr. Sleep, because this is a, Stephen King can do a sequel, you know, he it's a rare thing, but when he does a sequel to a book that he's done, he's going to do it the way he wants to do it. He's not going to be, he's not going to do, you know, intentional fan service or anything like that. He, you know, he believes in the kill your darlings thing and, and, you know, he's going to do what he feels is best. So he wrote Dr. Sleep as a sequel to his novel. It had nothing to do with Kubrick's version. And and so to see what has come about with this film, Dr. Sleep, is just sort of amazing. Okay. I don't want to say it's full on amazing because this isn't a, gr- I wouldn't call this a great film. This is a very, very good film. What is what is the the best thing I could think of off the top of my head about about Doctor Sleep is director Mike Flanagan. Okay, he did he's done a few horror films already. But the one I can remember that he's done that I have seen is he did Gerald's Game on Netflix, which there's connections with some of the actors he used in Gerald's Game that show up in this movie. Um, and then there's little references to and I'll get in, I'll get into the Easter eggs in a little bit. But Mike Flanagan, he knows he you can tell that he understands Stephen King. And that he wanted to make a film that honors the book and also honors Stanley Kubrick's vision. And it's it's 
what I mean about this being just short of amazing is that he was able, the Flanagan was able to take the book and that I'm talking about the original book, the original film, and this book, which I've read the cliff notes on, of uh, you know the synopses and everything for the the book of Doctor Sleep, and able to to combine all of those things into this film and to make this be able to balance you know Stephen King's vision and Kubrick's vision and still make this a really good movie. I mean, how often do you think that someone would be able to do that in Hollywood? I, I don't. Usually they would they would find some way to fuck it up and it would just end up becoming this piece of shit, right? And instead, I'm like amazed that he could do both services. He could service the Kubrick fans and he could service the King fans. It's great. So, spoiler alert, of course, but, you know, he was able to bring the ending from the book, have it end the way that, you know, Dr. Sleep ends, you know, and change things up a little bit. I'm fine with it because I never read Dr. Sleep. So, I don't, I don't have to be the purist when it comes to this one. And, like I said, great combination of what he did with this. What I love also is the attention to detail that he had with certain things to grab you. Like I think of um, like how the Duffer Brothers do Stranger Things. Um, how they'll take um, you know they'll do things from you know seventies and eighties, and they'll intentionally film the show to make you subconsciously remember those things. And then so when you're watching the show, you get that nostalgia vibe from it. And so that's what Flanagan was doing with with Doctor Sleep is that he just adds these little things in there. Like, I mean, the part where he's, um, where Ewan McGregor, Ewan, <laughs> Ewan McGregor interviewing for a job with Bruce Green, Greenwood's character, who played Gerald in Gerald's Game, by the way. He, um, it's in a, an office that is designed to be exactly like the office that Jack Nicholson's character gets hired in, in the original Shining film. You know, there's even the red book, right? The red book that's sitting on top of the uh, of the desk. And so, you know, then there's other things too. There's certain kinds of camera angles and then there's costumes that are, or um, motions, the way the characters are, certain characters are moving that were already in the other films are. Do you know, I didn't realize this until looking it up, but Henry Thomas, who played, who played Elliot in E.T., that's what he's most famous for, of course, even though he was in The Haunting, which is a really good horror show, or um, a haunting show that, that was on, uh, that's on Netflix. Really well done. He's uh, He plays the older, the Jack Nicholson version um, when they go to the Overlook Hotel at the end of the movie. And so, I didn't know that was Henry Thomas. Uh, but anyway, the attention to detail is really cool. And then it, that cuts into the Easter eggs. And, the, you know, all the little Stephen King things. Like, in the novel, in the original Stephen King Shining, you know, it was room 217, right? It wasn't 237. And then they changed it. Kubrick changed it because of, you know, there was, like, like ho- the hotel owners or some shit was worried about, blah, blah, blah. The fact that when... Uh, Ewan McGregor's character, I always say his name wrong, goes into, uh, you know, when he's working in this convalescent home or whatever you want to call it, when he walks into one of the rooms of the of patients that's about to die, the room is 217. And I noticed that because I'm a Stephen King guy. And so I know about that little that little change. And so that was really cool to see the simple little thing like that. But then there's other little nods too. I mean, there's a shit ton of Easter eggs in this movie. There's certain things that I, I knew that stood out. Like, for example, like when Rose the Hat's character when she's in the um, when she's in Abra's head and she's opening the file cabinet, and all of a sudden her, her hand gets partially degloved a little bit. That, of course, is a reference to Gerald's game. If anyone knows that, and then there's also a ton of other things too that I, I don't need to completely dive into. But I want to talk about the characters, which is Ewan McGregor's character is is really good. Um, I believed him as him, you know, being Danny Tom or Danny Thomas <laughs> as being Danny Torrance. He brings 
an emotional heft to the to the role. You could tell that he's dealing with his own demons and and everything that you know he's going through, and you know, he's you know he's an alcoholic and he's inhibiting his psychic powers because he doesn't want to deal with it, and you know he's just going through the motions of life, and and then he, he finally has his moments of redemption where he finds his place to to finally um, be a better person. And so when he becomes the literal Dr. Sleep, where he's helping these patients pass away peacefully, that was my favorite parts of the film. I, I was surprised because I thought that my favorite parts of the film were going to be all the homages to The Shining, to you know, especially to Kubrick's version. And instead, it was these scenes. It, I mean, there was only, I believe, only two scenes where he goes in and he talks to these, these elderly gentlemen who are, are about to die. And it was... It, I mean, it almost it like almost teared me up. It was really good, you know. It's like in it, that sh- those sh- the short amount of time in those scenes, it connected me. That's how well done those scenes were. So I, I actually felt for these characters when they were about to pass away, and I also truly believed in McGregor's performance that you know he cared about these people as he was helping them with their transition to death. Very powerful, and I, I mean, if they even had a little bit more of that in the movie, I would have been perfectly fine with it because that's how good it was. The another character who was really surprising to me, Kylie Curran as Abra. She was very surprising to me because you know when you most, I mean, we're pretty much in agreement of this that when when you have a, a child actor in a movie, especially in a, a movie that's more based around adults, like say if you have The Mummy Returns or something like that, the kid derails the film because they overuse him for comedic relief and and so that kids have something to you know relate to and things like that when they're watching it and it just it just ruins the movie you know. But in this film, you know, like like say when I saw the character in the trailers, I was like, oh God, I wonder how much she's going to take over the film, if it's going to just all focus on her and it's going to just, it's going to end up sucking, right? Instead, complete opposite. She was really good. I not, I don't think there was one time in the entire film where I was annoyed by her being a child actor in the movie. I actually cared about what she had to say, what she had to do, and all of her interactions with her family and with uh, Ewan McGregor's character and in Rose the Hat and everybody. She was really good. I was really surprised at how well she was used for this film. Yeah, she held her own in this movie really well. I don't. I, I kind of had a problem with uh, Cliff Curtis' character who uh, played, you know, McGregor's best friend because it seemed like at first he was a really good setup character for McGregor moving to this new town and, and you know readjusting, ch- trying to you know escape his old life and stuff like that. And he seemed to be a really good friend character. And then it seemed like throughout the film he just became this guy that was going to become fodder <laughs> for an action scene. Which, you know, uh, I'll get into it in, in a second. But here's the problem with the movie, I think, that, well, one of the problems I have with the movie is, even though the movie's two and a half hours, which normally, if you have a movie that's two and a half hours, that's usually enough time to establish enough characters and to do enough things. And there's a ton of character development in the movie. Do not get me wrong. There's plenty. But there also is not plenty. And what I'm trying to get at is the true knot, okay, which is Rose the Hat's group, where they're, they're pretty much vampires. They're a group of vampires who eat steam, which is the psychic ability, the, the psychic power of, of psychics like Danny and other people that have, you know, they have psychic abilities, but they could be different. It's kind of like X-Men in a way, right? My problem with the true knot was, even though they do get a lot of screen time, there's not really any delving into the characters themselves. Instead, it's more about just the shit they're dealing with at the moment for the most part. You know, we got to get more steam. We got to get this. We got to do that. 
And it, I, I think there was a huge missed opportunity there with going more into their pasts instead of just a, an offhand comment here and there. There could have been way more with that. But the good thing, though, about it was also Rose the Hat, played by Rebecca Ferguson. She's my favorite character in the entire film because she is such a damn good actress. She's gorgeous to look at. Throughout the film, she got more and more gorgeous, which was odd to me. I don't know if that was intentionally done or maybe I just had a mild crush or some shit. I don't know. She was excellent. And I, 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 grew, to, I grew to love to hate her because her character is deplorable in pretty much every way you can think of. Her justifications and her group's justifications for why they do what they do is still not a justification in my eyes. The fact that they could they could torture a child just so that because then their steam tastes more sweet and things like that. I don't, it, you know, it's disgusting. But what someone pointed out to me when I, or something I watched, I didn't even truly really think about was this, they were a more extreme version of addiction. So you had the whole film has undertones about addiction, which is you have Danny Danny's character who's an alcoholic, right? And then you have these people who are steamaholics pretty much. And they're, they've embraced their addiction and they just push it as far as they can possibly go with it, right? And they have no reservations about it. They have no inhibitions. It seems like they don't even have any guilt about it because they've been doing it for so long that they don't even give a shit that they're destroying lives. You know, they just have to keep feeding this thing. So, you know, when any of their char- these characters get, get their comeuppance, I don't feel sorry for them in the leadest. I don't, or in the lightest, I, there's no empathy for these characters. Not even Rose the Hat, even though she was a great character and I love to hate her in this film. There, every other character that's in the film has very small parts, but they all are very effective for how long they're there. I liked how Flanagan chose to use different actors to play young Danny, to play um, young Wendy, and then also Jack Nicholson's character. Jack, of course, when um, they're in the Overlook Hotel, he didn't, tr- you know, they tried to make them look very similar, but they didn't try too hard to make them look exactly like them. And also Dick Halloran's character as well. And it was, I like the fact that they're still in it, but then they're not, you know, it didn't, they didn't, he didn't use the CG masking, you know, the de-aging or anything like that. None of that stuff. So it, it felt like this movie was doing its own thing, but also at the same time doing Stanley Kubrick's thing at the same time. And, and that was really cool. That That's what I mean about the balancing act that, that he was doing with um, the, the original source material and with the movie, you know, relation to Kubrick and stuff like that, which is really good. So it, I, it pulled me into these characters. Now, going into the problems with the film, one of the problems I had with it was that I could not... I, I know that there's expectations, but I tried to keep my expectations at a certain point because I... I when you have a classic film, you're never going to. I, I I don't think you can ever get to the point of of a classic, you know, because something has time has to build up over time, right? I didn't look for it in that way, like just like with horror films nowadays. I don't look for the scare factor because you're not going to scare me. You might creep me out, but you're not going to scare me because I've seen every jump scare that, that's possible. So I look for other things like you know the detail, attention to detail, and 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 the ambiance of it all. What I looked for with this film was just to see how much it, how, how well it's done to honor what it came from and to stand on its own two feet. This movie stands on its own two feet and it honors the source material at the same time. It, that's what I mean about, you know, again, about great balancing. So, uh, but I never got, I never fully got the, 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 the vibes that I got from the original Shining. There was something a little bit off with this version, even though, like I said, 
it, it does it does all these connections to it and it, and it, you know and then these intentional scenes that are made to look exactly like before and things like that i didn't feel the sense of dread like i feel when i watch the shining every time i watch the shining there's this overwhelming sense of doom impending doom even though i know exactly what's going to happen you still feel it every time i watch it this time it seemed like they were using more of this heartbeat sound effect which was in the, the original shining film but this time i think like over half the damn film had this freaking heartbeat sound constantly going on there was a few times where i was starting to get annoyed by it because it seemed like they were using it as a cheap tactic to add fear to a scene to add tension to a scene and that that bugged me a little bit here and there but um it's still the movie is creepy and and some of the torture scenes that happen it's it's very off-putting but it's effective that's that's one of the you know those are there's some of the problems i got also i mean by the time the film is all said and done you know, I didn't feel, I don't know, it, it's kind of weird. I, I really, really like this film, but yet at the same time, there still was something that was missed. Maybe it was because by the end of the film, by the third act, it tried too hard to do the ultimate fan service because the third act is the ultimate fan service. I mean, holy shit. The, I think the, you know, because I think, but uh, one of the problems that happened with them doing that fan service is that it's already been done. It got done a year ago with Ready Player One when they had that shining scene in the third act or in the second act, I think it was. It it didn't it wasn't as fun as it could have been. I think that that it was a little tainted. That I know that sounds kind of weird because you're not supposed to let other things influence what you do, but we're human. I mean, that's just what it is. I, I, you know, we already saw in Ready Player One, so I, I can't help it. You know, it's just like watching Tarantino movies and comparing them, right? Overall, this movie is really good. Um, I don't think that anyone else could have done a better job or as close to as good as Flanagan did do. He he honors and respects this thing big time. And uh, the fact that no one, not enough people have gone to see this movie, that the, the movie Midway, this is like a shittier version of Pearl Harbor, made more money the, the, the weekend it came out. I don't think this movie was promote, promoted enough, for one thing. And I also think that a lot of people might be closed off enough that they need to have their hand held to the point where it should have been called The Shining Part 2 instead of Dr. Sleep, just so that more people might go see it. That, But whatever. I Look, we spent our money on it, and I, I'm glad that I gave money to this film because it needs to be seen and... That's all I got. You're really blowing this film up. I really enjoyed it. I did. I, I like the movie. Three things. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is Rose the Hat and who are her people? Rose the Hat was played by Rebecca Ferguson. No. Who is Rose the Hat and who are her people? The True Knot. That's what they're called, right? The True Knot. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know that without reading? Did you know that from the from the movie? Yeah. Well, I don't remember. I, I, always, I kept forgetting about the name of her group, so I, I did have to look that up a few times. And I they remember. never said the name of the group. I don't remember if they did or not in the movie. So, you, so we, we didn't know anything. I'm, I'm going off of. I'm not going off of what you know now. Uh-huh. I'm going off of what you know in the movie. Yeah, I, I can't remember if they mentioned the name of her group or they not. Didn't. Who is Rose the Hat? Without going into what you already know, yeah. When you were watching the movie, who is Rose the Hat? Just someone who's obsessed with collecting. Being in control and collecting steam, they don't do much about... I mean, you don't find out about her past really at all. We know nothing about this person other than they use the shine to continue their lives so we can assume they're vampires. Yeah, and then it's like... I don't even think you could tell if like... like there, there were some of them that didn't even have any psychic powers at all, and they just they they they, knew they all had psychic powers uh-huh. supposedly. So I was reading through the Wikipedia for Doctor Sleep, and 
ultimately the the book and the movie end up at the same spot, which is the Overlook Hotel in Colorado. Yeah. The difference between the book and the difference between the movie is in the book, Danny survives. In the movie, Danny dies. Which again, I'm I'm more partial to the book ending. I thought that his self-sacrifice in the movie was useless uh-huh. and that they should have explained the Overlook Hotel being burned down between the first Shining and the second Shining as the they, they could have even referenced it at the beginning of this movie where they escape and the Overlook Hotel burns down. Because they still go back there anyways. It's an it's an important part and it's an important. Yeah, location. you know, because you can tell that when when you're watching when it gets to the third act, the hotel never got reopened because nothing got fixed. Correct. Like there's a hole in the door. You know, I mean, the blood. I think the I, did it show the spot where Dick Halloran got killed. It may have, but the blood in the elevator and stuff like that, where she smiles. Yeah. Um, look, I. I I, I want to be very, very clear. I like this movie. Yeah. And it does it does homage to the original Shining very well. Yes. My problem with the movie is it should have started off with the Overlook Hotel burning down as they escape. Mm-hmm. And then, because we're, we're shown that backstory. And then, and then intercut with the fact that Rose the Hat and her gang live there with, you know, at the Overlook mm-hmm. in, in their caravan. Okay. And they are susceptible, like, steam doesn't heal them. They are susceptible to... Oh, yeah, the disease. Disease and everything else when it comes to dealing with the steam. Yeah. So, in the book, now, I haven't read the book. But I just, so I, I, I read the plot from Wikipedia because yeah. I had to catch up to find out the differences between the movie and the book. Yeah. In the book, they abduct somebody who is infected with measles. Yeah. And, and, and there, there's a lot of these, these vampires. Yeah. There's a lot of these people from the true not. And like, some of them die from the measles. Yeah. And, and, and then in the book, they split off. And and go their separate ways to go find Danny. Like yeah. like the movie follows along with the book relatively closely. Yeah, with few exceptions, except for that weird that that out of place action scene shootout that felt a little out of place. No, it was in the book. We're, okay, I, but it, it felt out of kind of just it was kind of weird. Just this weird shootout action scene. Yeah, it was a weird shootout action scene, but it's in the book. Because huh. from what I understand, uh, it, even if the, there was in the book, um, they didn't all get wiped out there. They got most of them got wiped out by the measles. Right. The true knot begins to die off from measles contracted from their last victim. They believe that Abra's steam can cure them. Abra asks for Dan's help, and he reveals his connection to Abra. So this is so they're they're starting to die off of the measles already. Yeah. David starts to believe Dan and agrees to go along with the plan to save Abra with the help of Billy Freeman, one of Dan's friends. They foil and kill a raiding party sent by Rose, led by Rose's lover, uh, Crow Daddy. However, Dan realizes that Rose will relentlessly hunt Abra for revenge. So it doesn't say anything about Billy dying in this in this section, but I think that Billy ends up going with them to Colorado. Yeah. But here's the interesting part right here. Yeah. Dan realizes that Rose will relentlessly hunt Abra for revenge. He visits Abra's great-grandmother, Conchita, who is dying of cancer and telepathically learns from her that he and Abra's mother, Lucy, are half-siblings of Jack. Yeah. As Conchita dies, Dan takes her disease steam into himself, and then he releases the steam and kills off a lot of the true knot when they go to Colorado. Yeah. And then they kill Rose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then, so Dan is her, so they, they refer to Dan being her uncle 
in the movie. Yeah, in the movie, just like as a you know, like a, an endearing term instead of actual fact. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of an actual fact. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so that that's alluded to. But the problem here is this: you have a two and a half hour movie where you're trying to pay homage to <laughs> to The Shining, a lot of things, and yeah. the book. And the easiest way to have done that is. Fire at the Outlook Hotel at the beginning of the movie. Dan lives, and and then you go from there instead of killing off Dan in the in 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 the movie. Because other than that, you know, and the true not thing, not knowing who the fuck the true not are. Yeah. Other than that, those are my only two issues with this movie. Uh, everything else was really really good. I loved I loved the fact that Henry Thomas played Jack Nicholson's character. Yeah. yeah I loved good. that entire sequence. And they only showed him basically from the left side and not from the full side for the most part. Which sells it more. Yep. Yeah. And the hair, the way they had the hair done, everything. It's a fucking great sequence. I love, um, who is the old black guy? Um, um, Carl Lumbly. He does a lot of voice acting for um, DC um, cartoons. Right. But I mean. Like he does the Martian Man. What was his character? He played Dick Holleran. That's right. Dick Holleran. Yeah. And the way that, because he looks almost like him. Very good. Fucking great. Very good casting. And the kid that played young Danny and. You know, even though, I mean, Shelley Duvall has a very peculiar look about her, yeah. a very specific look. The lady that played Danny's mother, the way that they lit it and the way that they angled it, she, there were times when she looked just like Shelley Duvall in yeah. profile, and she sounded like she her. She did a good job with the voice, yeah. And 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 I really enjoyed that. I could, I, I could go away from the fact that, you know, she didn't look exactly like Shelley. I don't care. Yeah. You know, maybe she's healing, so she's gaining more weight and stuff like that, and so her Face is a little bit more fuller, yeah. yada yada yada. Those things happen, you know. Not to Shelley Duvall because she's still skinny, anorexic. Like, mm. I mean, she's she's always been that skinny. Yeah, olive oil. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. So when I'm when I'm looking at this uh, movie, yeah, this movie should have done much better. But and I and I agree. I think that there's a problem with the marketing department for Warner Brothers Pictures, um, and that they should have done more. To push this movie because who the fuck wants to see Pearl Harbor Part Two? I don't. No, no. And we, and we talked about the trailer and everything. We fucking made fun of that trailer. It's a piece of shit movie. It's boring as shit. And I'm sorry that um that dude from uh, Fargo and Aquaman was in it, but Patrick Wilson, yeah, and Woody Harrelson and a whole bunch of other people. But this is a fucking far superior movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, it's it's probably one of my top 10 this oh, yeah, year. Probably. Although we only do 50 movies, but you know, it's one fifth of the movies that we've seen. That's okay, because most of the movies we saw this year were shit, so. Yeah, pretty much, but. <laughs> Angel has fallen. Oh. <laughs> God. So, I, I, um, I'm disappointed that Warner Brothers isn't pushing this movie more. But it's made $55 million at the box office. Its budget was between 45 and 55 And I will add this to my collection when it comes out on Blu-ray. Yeah, and it's it's a real treat to see someone take the Stephen King. I mean, this is the second Stephen King movie that's come out this year. and uh, It, Chapter 2. Um, what else? I don't know. They're doing so much Stephen King shit now. You got Castle Rock on Hulu. Um, there's just, yeah, I mean. This is the second Stephen King movie to come out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that... To be able to have two superior Stephen King movies, even though I mean it had its issues, still not a bad. Part. It's not a bad movie. Yeah. No, it's not. In fact, yeah. it's 
you know, there's only so much you can fucking do yeah. with with locations and everything else unless they decide to go fully digital and then make these movies like cartoons and stuff like that. There's mm-hmm. no way that you're going to be able to offer a comprehensive book to movie type of deal. And that's that's really what it comes down to. So you have to deal with director visions, you have to deal with casting, you have to deal with locations and money. And and that's what it comes down to. So what we got here is truly a um a, a happy accident. Yeah. That's what I call it. And uh and and I I really want this to succeed so that we see more from Flanagan doing more. Yeah, there was talk of them doing a um a Halloran movie. That was going to be its own original thing, yeah. and it was going to be in the you know the so you'd have the shining universe kind of thing, and they were going to no, but uh, it's probably not going to happen now because this movie is not doing as well as projected. They shouldn't even do it anyways. Fuck you, Warner Brothers, for even thinking about that. Warner Brothers, yeah. There's a ton of fucking yeah. books that Stephen King has written that has to do with the shine. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's it, all of his books have to do with the shine. Yeah, they're all. So yeah. why don't you take one of his fucking books? And just continue making movies from wherever else that they haven't done yet, you know. Or do the dark stay the tower fuck the right away way? from the dark tower. <laughs> you can't do it right. So let people that know how to do that shit right do it right. Mm. Yeah, let, let Dave Filoni do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I got. All right. So yeah, I, I you know what? I mean, yeah, I, I think you go into more little problems got with the movie, but overall, please go see this movie. Support it before it's gone out of theaters, especially if you love The Shining. Support this movie. Buy the DVD. The more people see this movie, then mm-hmm. and the more money it makes, regardless of whether it made money at the box office or not. And the more people write in and say, "Hey, make let Flanagan do more Stephen King stuff." It's that's better. Oh yeah, and if you haven't seen it yet, um, check out Gerald's Game on uh, Netflix. It's 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 well done, very well done. You know, because we're just two guys with raging goals. You know. Good night. Fare thee well.